Hello, welcome to another episode of SG Explained. Elliot, you are back in the house. Yes, today I'm finally back in. Sorry for the absence last week uh, under the weather. Uh, but I'm back with a vengeance. That's great to hear, man. I missed you. Hey, I missed you too, dude. <laughs> so, so tell us, today's topic is something that you are actually very passionate about. And I'm here to learn, actually. I, I may have some questions, but I'm here to learn. Tell us what we're going to be uh, discussing today. Uh, we're going to look at something that I used to be a major part of, but I kind of stepped away uh, in the early, like, 2013, 2014. Uh, so I'm going to title this episode, Esports, Singapore's Unsung Hero. We have a lot of things, um, and usually we deep dive into some pretty lengthy historical pieces. Um, but today's episode, I was thinking that, you know, uh, there's not a lot of history to mine out of this one, just due to, like, the sheer briefness of this phenomena. Uh, it's, like, probably, what, the past decade or so? Uh, I think, Roving and I, we're going to share with you some of the biggest milestone achievements that Singapore has achieved. And mind you, there are quite a number of these things, and some of the new exciting initiatives that have come up due to its rising popularity. So for us, in today's episode, uh, when we talk about esports, uh, I'm going to be talking about competitive multiplayer games. So there must be a competition element to it. I don't know if you read about this, Rolf, uh, but this is like international use. There was... Um there's this Fortnite tournament. It's this, this is a battle royale game where you try to survive in a like in a big map and then there's a lot of people, uh, but you're all playing by yourselves. Lah. And there was a 30 million US dollar prize pool for one of their biggest tournaments. Um, the winner was a 16-year-old kid uh, from the US. Because it's a $30 million prize pool, he took $3 million for himself. Wow. A 16-year-old <laughs> kid with $3 million. Yeah, he What's just going to do with that? <laughs> Yeah, just overnight, overnight millionaire. Can you imagine going to school and you had like three million in your pocket? You're like, yep, that's right. And uh, all of that from just playing a video game. It's no easy feat. So anyone who's played Fortnite, you know that it's it's really, really, uh, it's a pretty difficult game for high skill ceiling. But the guy climbed his way through the entire tournament, uh, beat out probably thousands of people. I, I mean, I, I'm not too close to the Fortnite scene, but I'm assuming he had to beat a lot of people because that game is massive uh, to win $3 million. So that's international news, right? But in Singapore, we actually have organizations that govern the esports scene. They still, we still have organizations that care a lot about um, how the esports scene or even the online gaming scene in Singapore is growing. You know, in 2019, Rovic, there was something that's very, very interesting. What was it? It was the Sea Games. You, you, you know the Sea Games. I think you watch it more than I, than I do. And when you say the Sea Games, you mean the traditional sports where you have like, you know, wrestling, gymnastics, and all of that. Yep. Yep, yep, okay. yep. The ones that the, the ones that we sent Joseph Schooling to go swimming in. Swimming, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But last year, in 2019, it was the actual first time that we've had esports as a category uh, that was awarding medals in the Sea Games. Yeah. Okay. So you mean while Joseph Schooling is competing to win that medal, you have someone sitting on a computer also trying to represent Singapore, but in like Fortnite or World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that your, your range of games are, are, are within that spectrum. Uh, and yes. work, I will explain a lot more of these things uh, to some of our fellow listeners here. Uh, you know, whether or not you're into games or not, don't worry. I will, I will explain the significance of these things and I will throw around some rather maybe technical terms, so to speak. But generally speaking, should be quite easy to follow. We had we had three categories, okay? So normally there are categories in, in, in sports, and this is no different for esports. The three categories were for PC, for console gaming, and for mobile gaming. Uh, for PC, there were three titles, Dota 2, 
uh, Hearthstone and Starcraft 2. Then for console, we had the fighting game uh, Tekken 7. And for the mobile, we have Mobile Legends Bang Bang. Some of you, some of you will know it. You know, it's it's uh, the thing that all the secondary school kids play uh, after school sometimes. And uh, Arena Valor, which is like, uh, you know, it's like a mirror game to Mobile Legends. A total of six different games were being played. And we sent a Singapore team for each of these games, which was quite amazing because uh, it's no easy feat to pull together uh, some talent for these kind of events. What are the skills that you need in order to do well in esports? There are, of course, hand-eye coordination. You know, you need to be technically very skilled. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing on like like a PC, uh, you gotta have quick reactions. You know, I, I watched this documentary where uh, they calculated the speed of which uh, someone's eye focuses on the screen and then esports player's eye apparently moves almost three times as fast and can recognize data on the screen three okay. times faster than average human. So uh, it really requires a lot of concentration and focus to process that data. Imagine when you're watching esports, there's a lot of things going on, just like regular sports, I guess. But instead of having, you know, stamina for your legs and your arms or, or running, uh, you have to have stamina engaging with your keyboard and mouse. Another skill that a lot of people have attributed uh, quite recently in some documentaries is both mental wellness. So, you know, you're, you need to have like a sports psychology that's behind the entire uh, team and also teamwork by itself. There's a lot of strategy uh, that goes into these kind of games, much like your traditional sports like soccer and basketball. You know, I'm, I'm very curious why we called it esports rather than just call it gaming, right? Like, was there... Is there a branding behind it? Is that something that we need to do in order to get legitimacy for the whole, for people winning $3 million? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think so. You know, it's, it's really like a lifestyle thing. And the word esports has been debated for a very, very long time. Uh, If we, people have written books about what, sometimes it's like a capital E and then like sports. Sometimes like a lowercase E and then a capital S in sports. Like my understanding is that Esports should just be uh, the capital E and then sports. That's yeah. what's what that's what I understand. Because yes, it's to give legitimacy, but also it's to recognize that essentially this is a new kind of sport. It's a kind of sport for the twenty first century, uh, for the for the modern generation of today. Uh, it is competitive. It does require the sportsmanship of. Of, of, of any other sort of like physical game that we have out there. Uh, and I think we're trying to normalize it into something uh, that is not just, you know, it's palatable for all. I think what I like about this is that Singapore actually proactively embraced this, right? Mm-hmm. And for a country that, you know, normally is a bit more conservative, a bit more traditional for us to actually say, hey, like, we will we'll recognize esports as a as a legitimate worldwide competition, mm-hmm. and not only that, we will put money into it. I think that's great. I definitely think a big part of it is because if we're not winning medals in traditional sports, maybe we can win medals in esports, right? Yeah, and, and so now that you mentioned that, we actually did have a a, a medalist uh, from Sea Games twenty nineteen. Uh, we, we didn't win any gold medals this time, but someone whom you may recognize from the Karuwa Banana lineup. Uh, his name is Thomas Kopenkiewicz and he clinched a silver medal for us in StarCraft 2 uh, so he went in beat out the competition uh, only losing in the finals but still a silver medal is nothing to, to scoff at any medal is mm-hmm. a great thing to celebrate mm-hmm. so you might have seen uh, that in the news there's quite a big hoo-ha uh, about this win uh, not only because you know we finally won a medal uh, 
We actually have a lot of hopes on our Dota team. I just wanted to put it out there. But we didn't win. In fact, we went like 0-6 in that category. But, you know, because Thomas won in StarCraft 2, I think a lot of discussion came about about how we can nurture talent within Singapore with regards to esports. Beyond Singapore, I also imagine the whole region in Southeast Asia is actually very vibrant for esports as well. I imagine there are a lot of different players uh, because it's not, it can't just be Singapore. In fact, I would say that in certain titles, um, you know, you mentioned League of Legends, uh, the Vietnamese team has uh, found a lot of success on the international stage as well, uh, qualify for many world championship matches. So as a region, I think we're all kind of growing in different aspects. So we're seeing the rise of mobile gaming to be very strong, uh, especially in countries where it's much bigger than Singapore. Singapore is so population dense, right? Everything's within a stone's throw. We all are pretty affluent in the sense we have computers and consoles. Uh, but think about countries like Vietnam, for example. I mean, the only one I actually know because I visit there so often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but countries like Vietnam where not all the population is centered around big metropolis, right? Like your Ho Chi Minh's and your, your Hanoi's. There are people who stay on the outskirts. Hue An, uh, Da Nang, you know, the, the lesser known or rather the not so centralized cities. Because of that, mobile gaming has become a huge phenomenon for these people. It's not only a way to connect to the outside world, but it's also a way for them to enjoy and be in a competitive space. They kind of leapfrog the Mm -hmm. computer, PC and console gaming. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm just thinking about when I was a young kid, right, in secondary school, and we used to go land gaming. Yes. Uh, And I'm not sure if there's enough material to do a whole episode on land gaming, but I remember as a young kid, what was that mall? Park Lane Mall. (laughs) Yeah, so so we would go there and it's just like dark underground computer rooms and you just have tons of people playing. I'm just thinking that we had the right foundation for this, right? Like there's been generations of people who've been gaming in Singapore and this is just in some ways uh, the next step for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We always think of Lanchos as this place where all the R-Bings gather and then like everyone's just like competing. Uh, everyone's really, really like focused in their game. Uh, it's kind of true in, in the sense like till today, these Lanchos are still around in Park Lane Mall. Uh, and people who, who want to have that atmosphere of like, oh, me and a bunch of friends want to spend an evening together uh, just playing games, but you know, not from the comfort of our homes. We want that physical interaction. Want to be able to eat at McDonald's. There's a McDonald's right at Park Lane Mall. Right, that center low. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there is a social element to it as well. Yeah. Actually, uh, you know, uh, an episode about land gaming might be interesting to see how far we've come or uh, what the history of it is. I wonder if we can find info about it, or maybe we should just interview a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of those guys to come down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that that is kind of like the the where we are at now in terms of at a regional level what esports is like. I think after this, uh, I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into Singapore. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in particular, what organizations help us and promote the esports scene, uh, as well as some notable human beings who, uh, you know, Thomas he he won our first CGA medal, but there is a his long history actually of very successful and some. Uh, so I would say underdog stories in terms of the uh, esports scene here in Singapore. All right, let's hear it. Okay. So uh, the first one, I know how much you love acronyms, Rovic. So I could not, uh, I could not skip out on our first governing body. They're called SCOGA. 
Oh, that's uh, such a great acronym. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, SCOGA stands for like the Singapore Cyber Sports and Online Gaming Association. Um, and their kind of like purpose is to partner up, uh, start initiatives and cultivate like esports and online gaming scenes in Singapore. It's really cool because uh, they've been around for a bit and they've organized some pretty big uh, events, I would say at the national scale. But the one that I wanted to focus on today is this thing they call the Campus Games Fest, uh, or CGF for short. This is an initiative that started all the way in 2013, so seven years ago, and it was spearheaded by them together with ITE, the People's Association Youth Movement, and co-organized by the Cyber Athlete Professional League. So uh, all these organizations came together to run this sort of like campus lifestyle game festival where people could play all different kinds of like esports titles that were popular. Uh, there were prizes uh, to be won, but at the same time, it was a way to represent your school you know, that, that's always been a, a thing which we don't hear about enough. Like, how do you rep- You always hear about, like, oh, my, my school's badminton team, my school's basketball team. But you never mm-hmm. hear about my school's League of Legends team, for example. You know, in my time, or rather in our time, Elliot, I, yeah. like, <laughs> teachers would come to us and be like, you know, stop gaming. You're wasting your time. You're not going to go far in life if you all you do is spend time on the computer. And now they have them like, hey, hey join the CCA, join yes. the team. <laughs> you know, yeah. come on, please represent us in gaming. Please represent us yeah. playing on the computer. I which, which I find a fascinating evolution in, in culture and in attitudes. I also like, you know, I was looking at this, uh, Skoga is actually started by people in the scene, right? People who were gamers, people who were in the industry, not a government association, which I thought was really, really cool and and a great way to make sure that when they focus on what their priorities, they're really thinking about the sector and what it means to succeed rather than, you know, some national agenda. Uh, Because I also, you know, you compare it to uh, existing governing uh, bodies like the Singapore Sports Council uh, and and some of the bodies are, are under them. And you always have this sense that, hey, like, you know, are they really representing the scene? We did this whole episode on soccer in Singapore. And I remember when we talked to Justin, uh, oh. there was there was some ambiguity on, you know, actually, what what is the future and, and does the governing body have, have the best way forward for it? Right. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like with this, they've got some of the fundamentals right. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's why I want, you know, like, I, I, I love seeing these groundswell movements that kind of culminate into something bigger. Their key objective wasn't exactly just about gaming, but to promote this thing we now term as cyber wellness. You know, so like being nice on the internet, taking care of your brain, you know, looking outside to see the grass and the trees every once in a while so that you don't get myopia and uh, buy a very like balanced and healthy lifestyles to promote you to do things like you can, you can love online games, but there is a certain level of discipline that you must encourage yourself like, to take care of your body. All right. Moderation. Right? Moderation. Exactly. You know, one of the other groups that I think is worth talking about is one esports, right? Yes. Uh, and actually, we may be familiar with one because of some of the other sports they're involved in, especially MMA, which is mixed martial arts, right? Uh, but in late 2018, we saw the rise of the One Championship esports initiative. Uh, it was a really big deal. One and Dentsu, which is Japan's largest global advertising agency, went into a joint venture to launch One Esports for 2019. And they were partnering with other big players such as Razer and Singtel as well. 
So one was very strategic about is they recognized their business opportunity and they invested about $50 million to create Asia's largest global esports championship series. And they began a full event schedule for 2019 and 2020. I actually know some of the people who are involved in this team. Really? Uh, within one. Yeah. So it started off as a special project. They were really trying to identify if there was a market opportunity. And also because if you think about it, one is, it's still grungy. It's still progressive, but at the same time, it's known for its physical sports, right? Like your contact sports. And so esports was still in some ways an adjacency for them that they were evaluating, but they said, Hey, there's a business case for it. One of the stops that should have happened this year in 2020 was the one esports Dota to Singapore major, which had a US $1 million prize pool. Uh, and, you know, Singapore was going to be part of the circuit. But, Elliot, I think you have a lot more info about it. Why don't you tell us what the actual implication is? There's this thing in the Dota scene called a major. And uh, it, there's, a, there's a full implication of why it was so important for Singapore to have a stop. Um, what happens is that across a year for certain uh, esports titles, such as you know Dota 2, uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, or CSGO for short, um, there are big teams who are trying to qualify for the equivalent of what we call like a world championship. right? So they go on like these circuit tournaments around the world, uh, they play, and based on their placement, uh, they get points to qualify uh, for, the, for, for this world championship. Uh, just to give a rough sense of what they're playing for at the world championship stage, uh, last Last year's prize pool for Dota 2 at the event we call the International, which is the World Championship, uh, the prize pool was US $34,330,068. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The top champion team, which is made out of five people, they won a whopping $15,620,181. This money is actually pulled from the players themselves. As in the player base that plays the game helps contribute to this prize number. Um, they run this thing, this event every summer um, called like the Battle Pass so or a compendium where people can spend money to get some really cool in-game stuff and a fraction of the money that is raised goes straight into the prize pool to support the, the tournament structures and, and, and the prize pool for this big event. So it's not just, you know, um, Valve, the development company that does this. It, they're putting 75% down in terms of like, here's, here's prize pool money, uh, but 25% will, will be actually given by the player base itself. It's it's fascinating, right? Yeah. Imagine if it, we, we all watch soccer and we started giving money uh, for them to, to hold, lift up like the championship trophy every year. In some ways, it does speak to the community that mm -hmm. is behind this. Yes. And, you know, I've watched I've watched some documentaries about esports and I think it's, it's really cool that a lot of times it's the brands behind these games, right? So the developers of these games, the, the brands that have actually launched and marketed these games that are also doing some of these tournaments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are pros and cons to it. The cons, of course, being that there is this sort of bias towards certain incentives over others. But the pros are, of course, the fact that it can actually be committed to its community and make sure that it's advancing the interest of that community over anything else. For things like Dota, in this case for the international tournament, because it's community funded, there are absolutely zero ads during the entire event. You love the game, you fork out money to make sure that it continues growing, and in turn, the organizers say, okay, then we'll put money back into the scene uh, so that everyone can enjoy the game even more. It was really unfortunate that due to coronavirus, most of this year's tournament circuits have been cancelled. Uh, they've all been moved online also. What I thought was really cool was that 
for the Dota 2 Singapore major that we were talking about. It was actually supported by the Singapore Tourism Board. During the press release, SCB's Executive Director for Attractions, Entertainment and Tourism Concept Development, Jean Ung, said that SCB is seeing an increasing trend of tourists coming to Singapore, of course, pre-COVID, for major esports events. And from their point of view, they feel like they've been a little bit too late to the game, but they want to step in. They want to have the opportunity to test the appetite and really make e-sports a reason for people to come to Singapore. So I thought that was very interesting. Of course, a lot of this is pre-COVID. So, you know, what that means post-COVID is <laughs> up for, you know, fair play. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that was just like the reality of things. Like, it would have been cool for us to have it. Uh, but I guess uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. I'm going to share with you guys some figures, some some really big figures uh, of people who, and, and I actually have a long list of them. You can actually find it on, on the internet pretty easily. I, I thought maybe we could just go through the top four earners in Singapore, like prize tournament uh, winnings and, and whatnot. Uh, just, just to have a little taste of the talent here. At the top, of the list winning over $1,551,000 is a man known as Ice Ice Ice. His real name is Daryl, Daryl Cole. But uh, yeah, people call him Ice 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 online. Do they call him Ice 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 in real life? <laughs> yes, unfortunately, uh, as with most esports titles, people don't go by their real names. So like, I actually went went uh, down to one of these events one time with a friend who is a very big fan. Uh, she's a huge fan of Ice Ice Ice. She went up to him and she she kept shouting ice ice ice. I was like, dude, that's such a weird thing to shout. <laughs> that's what you shout. That's what you shout at the at the kopitiam. You know, you need like you need more ice, ice ice ice. Yeah. Um. He's a he's a huge he's a huge part of the scene. In fact, he's one of like the early veterans. Uh, of Dota and one of the highest grossing players uh, that I know that has come from Singapore. He's actually competed. We were mentioning the international just now, the world's biggest stage for, uh, I guess, a prize for Dota. He's competed in it for five years, barring 2017, five years. Uh, and he's uh, he's actually done very well for himself. He made it, he and his team made it to top four. So uh, quarterfinals, I guess, uh, twice. And uh, I think the high, highest he ever earned from a single tournament was in 2015, where he earned $313,000. So that's a lot of money. That's more than anything I've made so far. Oh, and same, same, same. <laughs> uh, and to this date, you know, he's held about 22 championship titles. He's gone around the world. He stayed in many different places, played in places like Sweden. Uh, so they have uh, Dreamhack. It's a very big tournament as well. Man is just moving from country to country, playing with different teams. Uh, because he's such a talent, it kind of looks the same as in soccer, where teams kind of bid for players, right? You go to the free market, they start trading like, hey, I'll buy that player for like $500,000, like a million dollars, and then they make a deal. So Ice is Ice, one of the most prolific guys uh, in the Singapore scene. Side fact, he's also pretty trolly. He says the most like internet meme-ish things ever. Like he's never serious in any of the interviews. Yeah. <laughs> uh, comes to the territory another notable player uh, is one that I've actually had the pleasure of uh, playing with before uh, is this guy called Nuts uh, N-U-T-Z right uh, he also competed in 2015 at uh, the International but not on the same team as Ice 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 he's very cool because he actually is still in Singapore and he's leading a new team in Dota to try to compete at the International stage so he only started like maybe 
2019 or 2018, just a couple of years ago. And um, he's actually very determined to take that team like globally. So he really wants to represent Singapore, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, the last time he played, um, he was playing with Koreans. So he played for a team called uh, called MVP Phoenix. And uh, they were basically a Korean-based team with like three Koreans in their main roster. And he was what, the only Singaporean there. So must have been quite an experience for him. Uh, he finished, I think, sixth within that tournament and decided like, okay, with that experience, I think I can cultivate like some very good talents here. When you say that you played with him, was this like you guys just got into a room together and then, oh, (laughs) hey, aren't you like the big player or did you like actually coordinate this? Yeah, yeah, we actually coordinated this. Uh, Let's be fair, I'm not a very good Dota player. But what happened was that there was an exhibition match, like a celebrity exhibition match uh, uh, for, uh, I think it was for a good cause. So I think I was playing with Cesari, you know, the singer. Right, 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 yeah. right. And Cesari is very close friends, actually, because he's so good at the game and he's a big fan of Dota. Uh, Cesari actually reached out to Nuts and said, hey, can you be a part of our exhibition match? It'd be really cool to have a, have a seasoned pro. Uh, be a part of this thing so it's not just a bunch of noobs you know yeah, you, guys need, you guys needed someone to carry you yes exactly <laughs> I needed a hard carry and uh, Nets was Nets was super nice he let me play whatever I want he's like hey just you know, just have fun with it I will try my best to carry unfortunately we lost but you know it was all all in good fun what I like about, about this though is that um Although people on this list generally, um, you know, they're not going to be Singapore-based. They're all kind of like internationally poached, so to speak. That's is very dedicated to the idea of cultivating homegrown talent. And I think that's that's important for us. We need veterans in the scene uh, to kind of like start the foundations of academies or, you know, or coaching or mentorship. So I know we talked a lot about Dota today. But I also want to note that there are other games that we're actually very, very good at in Singapore. One of these other guys, his name is Zien, and I actually got to see him win a championship. <laughs> By pure accident, I was in America at the right place at the right time, didn't even know that there was an event going on. I walked into it, and then he won. <laughs> so it started in 2008 when Zien's friends asked him to return to the arcade to play the new and popular Street Fighter 4 game. And in 2009, after a series of competitions, Zian represented Singapore at the DreamHack Gaming Festival in Sweden, the same thing that you were talking about just now. Uh, his second placing at the festival convinced him to start traveling to compete around the world, really become an international player. But his family and friends were not supportive. Right, because it was just after the national service and he was without a job. Very Singaporean, very typical reaction from, from the people around him. But it was at this time that Zian found a silent back in this person called Len Yang, a casual but passionate gamer who saw online clips of Zian and actual overseas and wanted to see if somebody from Singapore can really be the best player in the world. So Yang sponsored Zian anywhere between fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year for three years. And this led to what you were saying in twenty thirteen when Zien became the world's best street fighter at the twenty thirteen Evolution Championship series in Las Vegas, beating sixteen hundred players to win the prize money of US five thousand seven hundred dollars. I, I, I giggled a bit because it said that he was the world's best street fighter when I was thinking <laughs> that he, he was the world's best street fighter player. Yes. Whether he's actually the world's best street fighter. Maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> He could one be. championship should get him, yeah. One yeah. championship should hire him. 
Right. But, you know, although he won international fame at the most prestigious tournament in the world, the prize money could only last him for a few months. Uh, uh, but that, that also, you know, that tasting of, of success really spurred him to go professional and to make this into a career for himself. In 2014, he managed to find a sponsorship in Razor, which now allows him to play full-time. Right, so so this is also another story of someone who went through that Singaporean process of like you know getting judged by your your parents, your grandparents, yeah. your friends. Like, what are you doing? Like, go be a lawyer, doctor. But yeah. over here, he's like, no, like I want to try this out. I want to see if it's gonna work out. And he did. And you know now he's playing full time. It's it's really insane. I love the fact that just some casual but passionate gamer named Len Young came in and was like, I want to help this guy reach the wall stage and forked out the money himself. Like, that's it. Here you go. Let's get this dream on the road. I mean, as far as Singaporean stories are concerned, I really love it when, you know, just run-of-the-mill people come in and say like, hey, let's make this dream come true. There's a hustle to it, you know? Yeah, I love it because it, there, there are two things happening here, right? The first is that almost anyone who wants to go into esports while there's still while there's a growing acceptance for it at the end of the day you're still going to have to face that conversation with your parents why are you doing this instead of having a stable career that's still going to be the case i think there's a growing acceptance but you're still going to have to fight that and especially in a society like singapore you're going to have to prove your worth uh, by gaming, right? By showing that you can bring mm-hmm. back that dough. What I lo- loved about this is that stories of people like Len Yang speak again to what people overlook about the Singaporean community, which is that we like to thrive where people think that we can't thrive. We like to be the underdogs. And so Len Yang was basically saying, if, if I believe that you can do it, let me put my money where my mouth is and let me support you and let's see you bring home prize for Singapore. Yeah. And that's such a great story of our community. Yeah. And you know, the, the prize money that Zian won in this case was only like what, 5.7K US. Uh, that was like the first taste of it in twenty in 2013. Over the years, he's actually accumulated a lot more earnings uh, in the gaming scene. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, his total amount is about $70,415 just through tournament earnings. This is not including sponsorships. It's not including, uh, you know, like salary and whatnot. This is pure prize money. So yeah. the for winning. I am curious on what the future of esports looks like in Singapore. Do you think that this is going to become much, much bigger? And in what ways will it be bigger? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. I'm, I'm always hoping, like as a gamer myself, I'm always hoping that the esports scene in Singapore um, grows in the sense that I, I, I'm hoping for people to actually see it as... Not as not as like a oh you know like we all we're all gonna be a part of like the, the game scene like no one's not everyone is in you're going to be like a sportsman in Singapore right but I I do want to see us take the cultivation of talent very seriously it shouldn't take someone to win a gold medal before we say hey let's look at this very seriously in like for example the case of Joseph schooling right we all started taking I think sports a lot more seriously because now we, we saw someone in our generation finally win a gold medal and yet there's a lot of controversy around like oh you know what did it take for him to get there what are the infrastructural components what were the barriers to entry uh, stuff like NS you know all these things are structurally gonna prohibit us from, from growing so I think as the younger generation the Gen Z's uh, our generation uh, people who are already engaged in in 
you know, modernity in the sense mm-hmm. of, yeah, we're all playing games. It's not, it's not something which is as niche as it used to be. Uh, I hope that uh, the sensibilities will change as well. So that's, uh, that's all I've prepared today in terms of uh, a brief history of esports in Singapore. Hope you all enjoyed it. And I hope uh, that, you know, you, you learned something about this little area of mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would love to actually one day go to an esports tournament you know a, a live one because yeah. I, i've seen some of the, the streaming ones for sure online mm-hmm. um, but but i would love to go to one in person and actually see what the dynamic is like i imagine it's very exciting especially as you get to some of the the final standoffs right that, that yeah. people are going for oh yeah yeah it's it's excellent okay next one next one i'll show you okay next okay. one Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are actually a lot of other initiatives that are going on within the esports scene as well. Um, a lot of new companies have put their roots into Singapore as like a home base. And I, I, while I didn't get a chance to, you know, really explore everything in full detail, I would implore anyone who's interested in finding out all about esports to uh, just do a quick Google search on a game that you like. And it's very likely that there is some sort of activity going on about it already. And even if you're not looking for the money and not looking for the fame, uh, these communities are great places to just find like-minded people who you can build connections with and I think that's also super important in all of this DM me on Instagram I'll play Dota with you (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here first guys (laughs) so you know on that note I really enjoyed this episode this is actually our second last episode of the season next episode Elliot and I will be reflecting on the past season really just uh, reflecting on some of our favorite moments and maybe even giving some never heard before stories about some of the things that that went behind some of these episodes while we're planning for season three do let us know what you'd be interested to hear uh, who you'd like us to talk to because we want to talk about things that Singaporeans are interested in so let's let's keep that going thanks so